Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. This one's a bit daunting for me because I am sitting in front of an incredible woman who has amazing media career background and uh, she has her very own podcast as well, which is extremely successful. So um, Shirley Robertson, welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on it. It's slightly daunting for me also because I like to ask the questions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and at the ripe old age of which I'm at, I um, yeah, I, I don't often really like talking about myself. So uh, yeah, a little bit daunting, but I have actually listened to the Book Princess podcast and um, I'm excited to be on it. Oh, thank you. Um, it's interesting you say that, that um I guess as we do get older, we do think our story isn't particularly interesting, but yours is pretty stunning. I mean, two gold medals consecutively in sailing. That's uh, something we'll talk about. And, uh, and we're going to, but we're going to start by going right back, right back to your childhood. Where did your childhood, where was your childhood? Well, I suppose not the conventional sailing background from someone from the UK. I mean, I grew up right in the middle of Scotland. When I opened my bedroom curtains, I looked at a great big hill and generally it was raining. Um, you know, not, <laughs> not the sea or a lake or anything. But uh, the thing about Scotland is you're never very far from water. Um, and, and also I grew up in the era of DIY. It was DIY everything. And my dad actually built a kit dinghy in the garage. And when I go home now to my mum's house, she's still in the same house. You can see the outline of resin still on the garage floor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure it was the best build, but, um, you know, it, we were just in that era, weren't we, where we yeah. built things and we did things. And um, was that a mirror? It was a mirror miracle. So it was sort ah, of, you know, the you upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we took it, we took it on holiday with the caravan up the west coast of Scotland. And then eventually we joined a sailing club, which was on a, a loch, you know, like a lake in Scotland, uh, beautiful um, in the Queen Elizabeth Forest Park, at a place called Loch Arzen. I mean, I, huge, uh, great memories, you know, yeah. from just mucking about in boats and the freedom of it. I mean, everybody says that, you know, as a child. And you get in a boat and they sort of push you off and you're all by yourself. It's it's an amazing feeling. Um, and the, there's an island on in the middle of the loch, you know, we used to go there and it was, oh my God, it felt so naughty. You know? <laughs> Such a big adventure. <laughs> it was hardly crossing oceans, but it was it was a good start. And I remember actually it was just a small club, we, you know, with club racing. 
um, and they brought in an instructor yeah. from the Royal Yachting Association um, just to do a couple of weeks training with the kids. And I passed with distinction and got the certificate. And, and that was it. Like, I didn't want to sail with my dad again. <laughs> I just wanted to do it by myself. And uh, and I was I was kind of off. I mean, I was an only child. I was, I guess, quite tenacious and um, competitive. And you know, and I loved it. And I loved the way that you could get better and better with each with each, each outing. And I could beat the adults. And you know, it was it was all good. It was a happy time. That's an interesting thing about boating with kids, isn't it? Especially now, we really sort of cotton wool the kids and don't let them do anything on their own and all those sorts of things. But boating is one area where I know I know we've when my boys were younger, we would take the big boat out and they had these little kayaks that were specifically for kids. And they would go and kayak over to the beach. And um, I remember them coming back one because we said, oh, there's a squall coming in. Come, come back to the boat. Come back to the boat. So they're coming back and this squall's just starting and they're so determined and they're, you know, on these kayaks and we can see their little faces just coming back to the boat. And, and you think that's, you know, that's a real life lesson and a moment in time that they'll probably never forget. But also they've learned so much and it's boating gives kids independence. So you... You had that independence in a very cold environment, though. How, how was it sailing in Scotland? It, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, now I'm such a wuss. But um, I mean, you're absolutely right. Freezing and you know, terrible kit. And I mean, quite quickly, I progressed, and I was then in the Scottish squad, which meant you sailed in the winter, <laughs> so things kind of got worse. Yeah, uh, and I've lots of lots of memories of sort of sailing with the men. Um, that's just kind of how it was. I was in the laser squad and in the snow on the west coast of Scotland and having to be rescued over and over again. And um, but I don't know, we didn't know any better. So that was that was that. I mean, I'm I'm a parent. Uh I have twin, I have a boy and a girl, they're 17. And I, I was the loosest parent, I think, around sailing. <laughs> just for that reason. <laughs> also, I mean, my son would say I was mean because I never helped rig the boat or I was never, you know, now you see some of the parents on the right with waders and helping them launch and recover. No, I mean, no. I didn't do any of that. Just, yeah. you've got a boat, we live by the sea, you've got a mate, <laughs> just get on with it. And I mean, actually now he's 17, I can see it's actually served him well and he can appreciate it. But at the time it was, you know, everyone else's parents rig their boat and you never help me. Um, but it's a lovely thing about sailing, isn't it? You You just get... You get these little winds of independence and, and you can be as brave as you dare that day, really. Um, yeah, it's a good sport for that. I know. And, but it also teaches kids a level of responsibility, safety, and, and that, you know, having to rig the boat yourself and then having to clear up the boat yourself at the end of it, that's che- teaching them fundamentals of this is what you have to do to, to you know, do this as opposed to you doing it for them. So I'm guessing now that you're... 17 year olds are independent in more other in other ways too because you've done that would you say that um certainly you know my son my daughter doesn't say but my son does certainly around sailing you know he understands the importance of you know packing away things properly and everything in its place and and yeah I mean I think he, he learned that lesson quite young um I think you're right and even in, in his life he's generally 
generally quite organized and self-sufficient um and certainly i see him now around bigger boats you know he's the the kid the nipper as we'd say where i live um and you know he's useful he's looking for the next job he's not just waiting for you know the adult to deal with it like he's looking to help and um, yeah, I'm quite proud of him then. Yeah I, yeah, I think I might have traumatized him a little bit at a young age. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you created some. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, okay, so you're you're sailing lasers up in Scotland now. Just to explain to everyone, sailors it is uh, th- those that uh, don't know different boat classes. Um, lasers are a single-handed um, dinghy. Um, and they're, they're used a lot, lasers, for, for training people how to sail, aren't they? Well, I think they've sold, what have they sold, like 200,000? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't, they're still in the Olympics. Yeah. It's the men and women's boat currently in the Olympics and they will be in Paris. Um, it's just crazy that they've lasted. I mean, they're not, it, there's nothing good. It's not like it's, you look at the design and think, oh, that was brilliant design. Yeah, they're pretty um, simple. They're simple. Yeah. There's lots of them. They were relatively cheap. Um, and at the time uh, I was laser sailing, I mean, there wasn't really an Olympic pathway for women. I and mean, you think 1988 was the first sailing medal for women. 84 was the first marathon. And I know that seems a long way away, but yeah. it was it was really my sort of formative years. I was a teenager. I was at college. Uh, I was really into sailing. I was reasonably good in the UK. Uh, and I remember watching the 88 Olympics in Seoul on my mum's in my mum's kitchen and there's you know the little telly on the counter um and Britain won a medal and it, it, there was just this clip on the news this tiny you know tiny little clip uh, and I I sort of vaguely knew the guy that won it he was Scottish guy called Mike McIntyre and he he won this Olympic medal and I'm thinking oh my god he's Scottish and kind of like he's from round here <laughs> um I don't, there was just like a real moment and I can, I can still really remember watching that clip of Mike Winnie's gold medal. And, um, in the next Olympics, which would have been Barcelona, they introduced a single handed discipline for women, which is kind of what, what I did. So I'm like, yeah. oh, well, maybe I'll give that a go. But it was in a boat. We didn't even have it in the UK. And, and I remember we went to the first world championships, you know, five, five British women just out the lasers. And it was, uh, in the Europe class, which was much more technical refined little boat and we were last second last third last fourth last (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) it's a good job there's sort of four years to go to the olympics because we've got a lot to learn um but yeah that was the start of it and and i finished my degree and I don't know, it was a different time in sport then in british sport now it's pretty well funded uh, through the lottery and you know most of the most of the athletes are are full time whereas then oh it was really hard to fund stuff but i did make the decision in the end that if i was going to go to barcelona and I, at the time i was the best in the uk yeah that i was going to you know not do my masters i was going to just try but when you look back i don't know how I really just ran it on credit cards and you know not much coaching and a few grants here and there yeah. um pretty amateur by you know by today's standards but I mean, amazing to go to Barcelona. I'm there a lot now with the America's Cup, and there's all those memories coming back because it was completely a city rejuvenated um, by the Olympic Games. I mean, it was a city that always looked towards the land, and you know, for '92 they looked towards the sea, and now it's you know it's an amazing place. 
Um, and I suppose a real moment of motivation was watching that medal ceremony, not being in it. Yeah. You know, I finished ninth, but I suddenly sort of something clicked and I'm like, oh, I actually, yeah, I really do want to do this. And I better kind of find out how yeah. <laughs> to do it. Um, but, you know, winning medals is about resources largely. Yes. Um, and so, it, yeah, you got to you got to get funding because you need to surround yourself with you know, the best people you possibly can. And also it's a technical sport. So you have to, you have to move that game on as well. You can't just, I mean, you can't just, you know, accept what everyone else is doing. Yeah. So a couple of things you said there. Um, one was that you were, you saw somebody win a gold medal that was from Scotland and that made you feel that suddenly you were potentially capable of doing that. And that's, that's one of the reasons I do this podcast that, you can't be what you can't see. So um, the fact that we talk to incredible women in sailing and, and incredible women in the boating industry is, is why I do this, to show other women and other men out there that, you know, these people have achieved these things so you can do it too sort of thing. Um, and the other thing that you mentioned is that you, um, you, just, you just wanted to be that and you, you said I can do that. Now you've already achieved best in Britain. How how did you achieve that? What was that pathway that you achieved that? I mean, the Olympics is hard. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, you know, once every four years, and not lots of people try, and not not very many people, you know, are successful. Yeah. So that's the reality of it. Yes. Um, but at the time, I don't know, I just sort of was, was finding my way. I, I applied my own furrow in a way. I wasn't going to get money. It wasn't, you know, not, everything wasn't going to be paid by the Federation. Um, so we had to raise money, you know, commercial sponsorship and worked a bit. And I, I don't know, it just kind of somehow made it work. But I, I sort of knew the areas which needed investing, which was, you know, the technical aspects. And I've always enjoyed that about the sport, you know, actually sort of learning, um, you know, we built our own composite rigs. I mean, it was quite a long time ago, <laughs> you know, working with like really smart people. And I love that also, you know, the tiny little things, but the, 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 the foils, you know, the centerboard and the rudders and I mean, tiny, tiny differences make, well, it's all about tiny differences. Yeah. You know, those tiny differences make the difference. Um, yeah. And also, you know, I did more sailing. You just have to do a lot of it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I was really quite focused uh, in a way when I look back, probably too kind of, I don't know, wanted it too much. I did lots of other sailing as well, which is something you can do in our sport. I did lots of match racing and that helped in a way too, because, you know, it is a mental kind of strategic tactical game uh, and just to, somehow take a little step sideways into a different arena, but sailing with other people, you also learn. Uh, and the Europe's obviously a single-handed boat. And it's, it's hard graft just on your own, mentally, you know, mentally, really. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I mean, I did a lot. And then uh, I didn't medal in Atlanta by a point, you know, and I can still pinpoint the sort of two or three mistakes in the week and... But 
I mean, I was so devastated and I just cried and cried and cried. Yeah, yeah. You know, just cry. I was so upset. And it's, you know, now I'm much older. I look back and I think, God, you know, there was just no perspective. You know, it's just sport. It's just sailing. and But it meant everything. And I had thrown a lot at it. Um, and I remember arriving back into London, sitting in my car at Gatwick Airport, not really knowing if I started the ignition where I was going to go. <laughs> You know, because everything had been about this Olympic Games yeah. in Atlanta. And I came back with, you know, I was fourth. Like, no one calls you. No one knows what to say. It was just nothing. It was the most miserable winter ever. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was so fun. They don't know. They use no. language like bereavement. Yeah. Um, just, uh, they just don't know how to deal with it. But actually, obviously, everybody says this. But you learn the most from those and actually now obviously I do lots of podcasts with very successful sailors quite often the ones who finished fourth then go on to succeed and you would you should always fear the person who did finish fourth yeah they just have that extra something I mean they're so analytical about the performance you know nothing no stone is left unturned um and so then I came back from Sydney I literally threw everything at it. And it did coincide with um, British sport then started to be funded by the lottery. So not only did I have the will to make it happen, um, we also you know, had an injection of cash. And we saw that in the Sydney Olympics. We saw the benefit of that. I mean, Britain won, I think, three golds, two silver and a bronze. And it was amazing, Olympics. And one of those golds was yours. Yeah, mm. in Sydney Harbour. I mean, yes. I still get, just thinking about it, I get all goosebumpy. <laughs> but, you know, what, what a treat. I mean, what mm. an amphitheatre for a sport. And, you know, for people, I guess quite a lot of people listening will know it, you know, to to smell the fish and chips from Watson's Bay when you're out <laughs> racing and know that the wind shift's going to come from there. Or, um, you know, in one race, I, I caught the surf of the Manly Ferry, you know, and overtook three boats and... The sort of detail, this the detail I love about sailing, sort of sniffing out, you know, an advantage, and it was so good. And of course, it happened in it was September, wasn't it? So it was yeah. spring in Sydney, which is really unpredictable. You're not just sailing in the in the thermal and the sea breeze. And every day was new and different. And the British team was all over it. Obviously, we had you know some amazing sailors at that Olympics, Sir Ben Ainsley, you know, the greatest Olympic sailor of all time, and um, Ian Percy and, and we pooled our knowledge and so we felt we felt like we knew the place inside out whereas others feared it yeah. um, and then we had our you know then one goal I mean I led all the way through until the penultimate race and then I just I mean I had a terrible race I remember coming alongside my coach and just in floods of tears <laughs> <laughs> and um and, so, and I still joke, I actually I just discovered this lately, that he he could see me coming. He's like, oh, my God, what the hell am I going to say to her? You know, <gasps> it was so terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and actually he, he'd called Mike McIntyre, the guy I'd seen won a gold medal. Yeah. He called him up and he's like, what am I going to say to her? And he's like, you know, just tell her what she's done. And actually I had secured a medal, but um, obviously the points were closer and I then had to nail the last race. Wow. Um, which I did, yeah, and then got my got my gold medal on the steps of the opera house oh. with the bridge behind at night, the Olympic rings on the bridge, um, and the only medals won that night were either British or Australian. 
Wow. And, you know, the Australian sporting fan is just, is not beaten, is it, yeah. around the planet? No, no we're and pretty full on. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> so good. It was, I mean, I go there now and it still it brings the tear to my eye. It was so special. And I feel, I feel like I was very fortunate yeah. that that was, that was kind of one of my moments. Oh, that's just amazing. Yeah. And, and then you won another one in 2004. I mean, that you're the first, first British woman to do that consecutive gold medals in two Olympics, right? Oh, yeah, in any sport. In any sport. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I obviously, you win a gold medal, you think you're, I, I don't know, you just think you're the bee's knees. Don't you? <laughs> I don't know. I've never been there. <laughs> I mean, it took me a long time to win that first Olympic gold. It was my third Olympics. But after that, I definitely had a, People often ask me, you know, did it change you? But I just yeah. have a, a confidence that I could make things happen. Yeah. I think that, you know, with hard work and tenacity, you could give it a good shot to make stuff happen. And I still sort of have that in yes. my life. You know, yeah. quite often I think I'll be given a project which, you know, other people walk away from and I think, no, I can, I'll turn this around. Yeah. And so I do have that kind of confidence. And so, um, I didn't want to do the same again. I had obviously done it for quite a long time by myself. Uh, and I took that confidence into a new discipline. It was introduced for the Athens Olympics in 04, which was three women in a small keel boat. Um, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It was it was so hard. You know, it was a boat that we didn't have any in the UK, so no, no knowledge. Yeah. Um, and... And I'd sail with two other people. And also there hadn't been the legacy of amazing women sailors just because there hadn't been. I mean, in a way, I was a bit of a trailblazer. Um, so there wasn't like a ton of experienced, brilliant sailors to pick. But luckily, I had sailed. Um, one of my training partners was a brilliant sailor. And she then went on to win two gold medals, a girl called Sarah Aitens. She came with me um, and then... But I mean, like a year out, a year, 18 months out, we'd no money. It was so expensive, a keel boat. Like, yeah. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars. We'd no money. Uh, we didn't have a crew. So it was only the two of us. Um, and actually, we didn't have a boat because the boat ended up, it was part of, you know, part of a debt. And that was, sorry, this isn't going really well. It's just kind of you and I, Sarah, <laughs> to make this work. But actually, I always think if you get the right people around you, you have more time than you think. And we did. We um, we, we didn't have the money to pay them, but we hired a, a great coach, a guy, a double silver medalist called Ian Walker. He's now uh, he's now with North Sales, and and he came and uh, and once he came, I don't know, it just kind of changed it. It changed the culture in a way. Like we knew with Ian, we we could make all this work. Um, and we secured a, another crew, Sarah Webb. We sort of pulled her out of a laser and there was a year to go. <laughs> anyway, we, we used our time well. Yeah. And in the end, we actually won the gold medal in Athens with a day to spare. And Amazing. we went to the spa. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd like that. <laughs> well, well, whilst our competitors were sort of duking it out for uh, silver and bronze. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're getting our nails done. <laughs> No. <laughs> Sounds a bit mad now. I was I was reminding my crew of the words of the national anthem in the jacuzzi, um, <laughs> but it was a good moment, and it felt it really felt at times like that 
that gold medal chance was slipping away. Yeah. Um, and I and I had the fear also because I was now responsible for two other people and their hopes and dreams and their ambitions. It wasn't just me. So it was like, oh, it was so hard. It was so hard to get right. And I think, you know, we, in a way, we kind of overshot. We, we were so good at we're so good at the whole thing, the whole package, you know, the, the technical package and how we sailed and the decision making and um, communications hard, you know, with three people. Yeah. And so, yeah, we just, we just worked and worked and worked. And um, so how much sailing would you have been done doing a week at that time? Just to give people a, a reality I mean, long, check. Long days. I mean, I, we, it sounds a bit mad now, but quite often we would tow out in the dark. If we wanted to work on downwind, for example, you know, we'd tow upwind in the dark and um, do massive long downwind and um, big long days. Mm. <laughs> I'm a fan of the big long days, but I mean, I enjoy sailing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, still, I, you know, I still race and campaign and quite often everyone's like, yeah, maybe we should go in. Um but I, I fundamentally enjoy sailing and I love just tuning, you know, two boats yeah. side by side, just trying to get the best out of the boat, you know, finessing things and changing things. And um, I absolutely love that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a fan of the long day. <laughs> so you have, you're quite a scientific brain, aren't you? You, you like the that, that technical sort of really knuckling down the detail together and you've done that I have to say um to just explain to everyone we are currently in Portugal at the World Marinas Conference and Shirley is the MC for this conference and I have never seen an MC put so much detail into what they're doing and uh, the the professional and very polished and very detailed approach that you've taken to this as an MC is quite incredible and and so that that's your that's not just sailing that's your whole personality isn't it well if I'm going to do a job <laughs> I want to do I want to do well yeah and I want to be prepared I hate I mean there is times but you know we'll get onto the fact that I've worked in broadcasting for ages yeah. there's lots of times particularly live where you're completely winging it yes but that is not a mode that I really enjoy yeah yeah <laughs> also I think you know I've I feel it's a real privilege this is not really really my world I mean obviously I hang out in marinas quite a lot yes um and I did the conference two years ago in Dubai so I I have an understanding but I I, I just feel that I I want to put energy into it it's a privilege to be asked and to be paid to do this job. Um, and actually, and I know what it's like to speak at a conference as well. And I I guess I just think everyone who speaks deserves deserves my energy. Um, and the fact that I might have thought about what I was going to say and Googled. And I mean, I, I, I hear what you say. I see, a, I go to conferences as well. And I see a lot of people who just kind of wing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Also, I enjoy it more if I, you know, if if I'm more into it, if I understand what's going on. And actually, I love this conference because I don't know the nuts and bolts of it, yeah. but I'm curious. Yes. Uh, I want to know why a marina, you know, degrades or, you know, we had a, a talk yesterday about fires. Oh, my God. I mean, it's so 
<laughs> it's unbelievable how quickly a boat yes just takes light isn't it and yeah. uh and they were you know that was a great talk they were talking about well it's health and safety around fires and marinas and things that you hadn't even thought about um so i love that i feel it's a, a real privilege um and i think you're you're right with my sailing i like to arrive on the start line having stacked the odds yes uh, I want to arrive on that start line thinking I am faster and whatever happens with the weather or the conditions or in the race, you know, I got it covered. Um, mm. I mean, things happen in sailing and you can't predict. Yeah. You can't predict them. But um, generally I want to know that I'm fast in every condition. So that will get me out of trouble and that together we're good decision makers um, and that we know the venue. Yeah. You know. Like the, nothing, no venue was quite as acute for that as, as Sydney. You had yeah. to, you had to literally smell it. You know. You yes, it's know different it. every day, Sydney Harbour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah maybe you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so before we continue that amazing interview with our current guest, a little interlude from us here at the Boat Princess. If you'd like to be a guest on The Boat Princess, simply send us an expression of interest to our email at info at theboatprincess.com or send us a DM on Instagram. We are The Boat Princess on Instagram and uh, we'll send you our media kit and details as to how we work. The podcast is incredibly popular worldwide and there is nothing like getting 45 minutes or so of somebody's ears entirely dedicated to what you're trying to achieve or perhaps what your company is trying to achieve. So we look forward to hearing from you. So let's go back to that that media world for you and and that time you had with CNN and and uh, tell me all about that part of your career. Well, I I'd always done a little bit in television. I remember, um, well, even around the Barcelona time. Actually, I got a job logging tapes. Remember those tapes <laughs> <laughs> in the local TV station, and it was a job I could do at night when I finished. You know, I'd been to the gym and I'd done my training and I bought work and everything. Uh, and so I got paid to work in the evening. Um, so I suppose I'd, I'd had an interest and I am, you know, I like, I like people like you, you know, I'm interested by people and story and, uh, and sailing's great for that. You know, boats are great for that. The people are really passionate, aren't they? And yeah. mad often, which I, good mad. And I, I just <laughs> adore all that. So I had, to, I had dabbled a little bit. Um, and I'd done some stuff, you know, in sailing, how-to videos and things like that. Uh, and then after Athens, I mean, two gold medals do open some doors. Mm. And I knew that I wanted to do more in broadcasting. And it opened a door uh, with the BBC and I had a year, a year's training, which was amazing. Um, because you can do everything there, you know, radio, live you know, you're out with the OB and I was doing all kinds of sports. Didn't really know anything about script writing. Also, you know, news. So you've got, you have to do things quickly. Mm. Um, 
and time to craft packages. And so it was, it was so good. I learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes. I mean, when I meet some of my colleagues, they still laugh at me, you know, just <laughs> on some, um, on some ice rink, just kind of crumpling. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And, um, and soon after, actually, I, um, well, I was still racing. I mean, it's very hard to give up the Olympics. I can imagine. And I guess every Olympic athlete will say that. It's yeah. hard to know when to go. Yes. Especially when, I think, especially when you've been, well, no, not especially if you've been successful. But, you know, if, if you've, you see people stay too long um, because they've dedicated such a long time. And in our sport, you can. I mean, you can be well into your 30s or 40, maybe. Yeah. And, um. And I had been successful, so I mean, I was good at it. So I'm like, why would I stop? Anyway, I, I kept going, and then I was pregnant and had twins. So there was a, <laughs> that kind of stop. Did that kind of stop it? There was a lot on, <laughs> but anyway, no, I still, you know, I thought I could do everything like you do. Yeah, and just had the maddest year. I had these two tiny children. Wow, go and you! I was trying to qualify for the Olympics, and I look back, I was like, what, what the hell? And I was working then for CNN every month. At the same time? Yes. I only did a, I did like four or five days a month, but still, I mean, it was just. When you've got twins and training for Olympics as well, that's, that's a big. Oh, I just thought I could do everything, but in the end. Um, but you could, you did, didn't you? Not quite. You didn't? Okay. Not quite. So okay. the trials, the trials were not far from here, actually, in Qashqais uh, and um anyway in the end two british boats finished first and second in the worlds and we were second and so the other team was picked but you know when i look back with a bit of perspective i'm quite proud of that crazy year yeah um so but, you should be but on the other hand i perhaps should have i don't know it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you're a mother. It's yeah. it's difficult to know when to let go of things. And it's something which had defined me and something I was good at and something I'd done for a long time. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway, it did start me on my journey with CNN. And actually after that year, I got way more involved in it. And it was such a privilege. I mean, for the program ran for 15 years. It was called Mainsail, mm. sponsored by Rolex. Uh, and they did a sailing show and a golf show. And it was just a wonderful mini documentary every month. And then what, in the end, uh, I pulled it all together and um, you crafted it, you know, with some brilliant people um, and told incredible stories about amazing, amazing people, you know, land yachting in Nevada at the Land Yachting World Championships. You know, I took part and... They're just fabulous people. Um, are all kinds of things, classic events. Obviously, the big regattas. You know, we stayed on the Fastnet Lighthouse uh, and told a story about the disaster that happened thirty years before. I mean, you name it, we kind of did it, and and that's the way we put it together. If I, you know, if we were genuinely interested by something, um, then then we made it happen. Uh, and CNN obviously is an amazing brand as is Rolex. And we did it so long people trusted us. So, yeah. um, nobody said no. <laughs> we love that. And I'm very good, a bit like you also, I'm very good at just asking. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we had all kinds of people on really royalty and billionaires and 
all kinds of things. But I'm really proud of, of you know, we 13 years, 12 episodes a year. Um, we I think the sport really misses it because yeah. there there's no there's no storytelling now that's not really um, commercial, that's not paid for by the event, and that's not real, it's not raw. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it's a shame it's gone. And and covering some things that may not necessarily be covered, right? Because they're not mainstream, like the land racing, lanyard racing. Yeah. Um, that's something that people may not even know anything about until you covered it. So that must have been nice, really bringing those really unique stories to the world. You know, sailing, boating generally, it's just full of of people who are really passionate yeah about what they do and i mean the land yachting was was just fabulous i mean complete alien uh, to me and in a place which was alien and this massive dry the best sunsets on this dried lake bed and um and lots there's a bit like sailing you know there's like entry level ones and i remember the first day i'm in this entry level land yacht it's literally a a laundry chair and some bits some tubes of aluminium and two tires like you get on a on a cart in the marina that's it and i am doing 60 miles an hour on one wheel being oh filmed out the back of our truck i'm like oh my god i'm on a laundry laundry <laughs> plastic chair <laughs> i mean it was mad it was mad and um so quickly kind of got used to it sort of went on better and better land yachts uh, but then then there was you know the sort of gti version that people who'd beavered away in their garages in north america all winter and then wheeled it out and like beautiful there was one which was just polished aluminium and um you know wings wing sails like we see in sail gp and yeah um you know really technical and i love that the thought of of people just tinkering away in their in their garages all all winter and then creating this amazing thing which will do over 100 miles an hour it's crazy amazing so you still sail now yes i mean there was a period of time i i kind of lost my mojo for it uh i mean i for the last more than a decade now i've raced in the super yacht circuit which is you know fantastic mm. um you know, big teams of people and great owners, and amazing locations, you know, St. Bart's or Palma or Antigua. Or, I mean, fantastic places. Yeah. In the, mo- in the most beautiful boats ever yeah. designed. Um, and I really started because I was friendly with, at the time, he was the most prolific and renowned super yacht designer, a guy called Ed Dubois, and he was a friend of mine. And I remember he got me, he got me involved, and I turned up and we we're in the British Virgin Islands. And this huge big boat was like, you know, 50 meters or something. <laughs> and I'm at the wheel and there's like 30 people. I'm like, right, fake it till you make it. Um, <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> oh my God. He's like, you, you'll be fine, darling. You'll be fine. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> If you concentrate and you've got a good team around you, it's kind of okay. But I mean, it's such a good team sport. And, um, and you think of all the people that have worked on those boats, Yeah, you know, the years and years in, in design and builds and maintenance and captain and the crew and to actually see them all race against each other in, in this beautiful backdrop, you know, yes. Porto Chervo here in, 
um, here in Italy, you know, you race around these stunning rock formations and the most amazing pictures. And, and I think it's, I always think of all those people that have made this, this fantastic yacht, which will last, you know, for a long time. Yeah. We're showing it off for them, you know? Yeah. We really are. And so I did a bit of that and then I hadn't, hadn't sailed that much, um, actually until COVID. So now I was working less at home more and I live in cows on the Isle of Wight, the home of yachting. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> when the America's couple started, all of yeah. that. Um, and the only sailing that you were allowed to do for a really, really long time was double-handed, double-handed sailing. And at the time there was a big push to get double-handed offshore sailing in the Olympics. Yeah. Um, anyway, I was asked by someone to sail with them and, um, and I really liked it. It was sort of similar, but new, you know, yeah. I, yeah. I can make a boat go fast and the boats were pretty small, you know, 33 feet or something. Um, but yet it was so alien, you know, sailing at, at, you know, at night in the dark, navigating, not sleeping. I mean, yeah. all of that. Anyway, I did that. I did that for three years and I really, I really loved it. I mean, it is just, the rawest form of sailing, I think, M more so in a way, I think, than solo sailing, because because there's two of you, you think you can push at 100 percent all yeah. the time. So you do. Um, and last year I did. A, it was like my biggest sailing challenge ever. I sailed around Great Britain and Ireland with Dika Fari, who's an amazing woman. Yeah, I think when well, she circumnavigated the planet six times, you know, wow. And, some on her own, some of the crew, some with a boat full of amateurs. And she's just amazing on the boat and got, you know, got better and better. And I got worse and worse. <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe that. It was like 15 <laughs> days around Great Britain and Ireland on this, on this tiny boat. Um, That's amazing. It was, yeah, it was, it was full on, but great. I mean, the high, when I look back now, the best thing about it was my relationship with D and, yeah. you know, sailing with D really. And, and actually sort of seeing, it's a long time, isn't it? 15 days yeah, yeah. now. I mean, we wouldn't even go on holiday. Well, I don't. Would you go on holiday for 15 days? No. You're like, that's way too long. <laughs> I mean, we're just gone with not on the phone or the internet or not caring about anything really, apart from what we were dealing with yeah. there and then for such a long time. But the problem with double-handed sailing is lack of sleep. And, yes. Um, Obviously, I wear a smartwatch, and at the end, you look at the smartwatch. You've you've slept for two hours in every twenty-four. Wow, I think I'm too old, really. <laughs> I'm definitely too old. For it that. took a long it took a long time to recover. Uh, and this year, I've been a classic six-meter racing on a fantastic campaign. Um, the owner has three boats. He's newly restored them all. You know, there's 36 coats of varnish. And we love the boat. Uh, and I have a, a new respect, really, for people who sailed those kind of boats. Uh, you know, it's, they're 90 years old. Yes. And they're really hard to sail. Um, but it's a, a great fleet and it's been great fun building building that team also. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. So you, you you're constantly learning aren't you 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 you're changing like you're an incredible sailor but you're changing your boat types quite incredibly over your time um so they were talking in the conference this this week about 
always be a learner, not a knower. And and that way you'll you'll have a, I guess, a more exciting life if you like, and a more um, and I, I think you really really, you really are that, aren't you? Because you're throwing yourself onto boats that you know. Oh, I'll just throw myself onto the super yacht and and uh, and sail it. <laughs> I mean, that's just staggering, Shirley. That's incredible. Well, it's one of the joys of my sport. Is I can't imagine. Well, maybe if you like row or something, you you know you row in a river and then maybe you row in the sea and then you cross. I don't know. It's you can do slightly different rowing, but sailing's so diverse, mm. isn't it? You know, and um, I love that about it. You never feel like you've cracked it. You know, and and even if you do sail the same boat for a long time, you never. There's always more to do, uh, and you're always trying to sail it better and more efficiently. You, you know, you never do it to a hundred percent. So. I think that's people stay in the sport a long time. You know, sailors don't really stop, yes. do they? Yeah. Um, and I think that's why is that there's always there's always a lot to learn. Uh, you never you never complete. Um, but also, I think I'm I'm good at surrounding myself with good people, and I like that. I like to work with the best um, and learn from them and. And part of that, I guess, has come from the Olympic world. You know, if you're going to win the gold medal, you've got to be surrounded with talent, whether it's the guy who makes the mast or, you know, looks after your boat or whatever, coaches you, you know. You won't win it unless you have all that. It, it's so hard to win a gold medal. So, um, yeah, so it's hard. To, I mean, all that's expensive. <laughs> Working with good people. <laughs> Whatever you do in life yeah. does not come cheap. And, and I suppose I also have a bit of a reputation for that, you know, but it's so infectious, even with the yeah. six meters. I mean, just brought in some brilliant, brilliant technical people and really great coaching and, and the culture and the energy that came from working with people who are passionate about what they do, whether it's, you know, electronics or rigging or just having them involved, you know, in the team. Really, I don't know, I love that. We've talked a bit about it here at this conference, about just getting the right culture and then everything kind of happens from that. You yeah. know, if if everyone is learning and and you're investing in everybody by bringing in really good people so everybody learns, then the results, I think the results just kind of follow. You don't need to worry about them. And in the sports, you know, in the sports field, well, you know, sometimes you won't win, but I, I just think, we, you've done all we can. You know, we've brought in good people. We've learnt what we could. We know what our mistakes are, and and we'll learn from that for the next time. But um, it is infectious working with really passionate, brilliant people, and we have that in boating. You know, wherever you look. Yeah. So now you you have a podcast, and you're again surrounding yourself with amazing achieving sailors in in that podcast in the interviews that you do um uh one of course one of my favorites was tom slingsby why would it not be as an australian um but how does that i'm guessing that feeds your need to learn as well because you love learning about them am i right oh it's interesting the podcast uh you know, I'm a podcast listener. I love podcasts, and and we felt when uh, when the CNN show Mainsail stopped, we just felt we were really well placed 
to make something quite special. You know, technically, my partner as well obviously works in television, and um, so we had like all the kit and the knowledge to do a pretty high level job. Um, but also, we have all the access and the trust uh, of the best sailors in all the disciplines. And so, we really wanted to do something special. And and also, I felt. I wanted to interview them like they'd never been interviewed before. I really wanted to give them the time to tell their story, you know, and the whole narrative arc of that. And there always is, you know, massive lows and highs. And um, and I wanted to create an archive of that. And so that's what we that's what we did. Yeah. And I really we're really proud of them. Not that it's made us rich. Unless, uh, you know, I don't know. There's not many podcasts actually make much money, but um, I'm really proud of them. And the sailors want to come on it. Yes. So I guess they really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, as you say, I, I, I like to do my homework. So, um, I, 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 so I, you know, I, I know, I, I often I know a lot about them, but... Even if I don't, sometimes we, you know, don't. And we, we've done like a book builder or, you know, it's really private. Some of the best people in sailing don't shout about it, do they? And, no. and so I have to do quite a lot of research. But I I take it seriously. I, I want I want to touch all, you know, all the aspects that's made them who they are. Um, so I really, yeah, I really, really love the podcast. Um, you know, we've had John Bertrand. We're just going to name the Aussies. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. There's been lots of Aussies, um, but you know those stories are so special. And yes, and because I worked in television, I know in television when you interview someone, you're actually desperate for them to give a lovely, short, concise answer with a statistic in it, preferably. Well, you know, because already, already, I know in the running order that I've probably got 25 seconds for for them to say that. Yeah, and um, so you never get the whole story. And no. Um, Plus, I think I think what's really nice about podcasts is, um, you know, the media now tend to sensationalise a lot of what they're doing, and they need to grab something that gets attention, right? And that often means that they're interviewing somebody and they're trying to catch them out. Whereas as a podcaster, we can explore the person from a positive angle. Um, and it's a real privilege to be able to do that. And and I, what I love about doing podcasting is that I don't know what it is, but people do tend to open up to me, which I feel is such a privilege to to that that they do that. And you know, I've had I've had interviewees say afterwards, "Oh, I didn't expect to go down that path, or I, I didn't expect to say that, or I didn't know that you were going to pull that out of me, or whatever it is." Um, and it, that's what you do with these sailors and, and these these incredible people who they are ordinary people but they've worked incredibly hard to get where they are or they've had um, real challenges that people don't potentially know about. They only see either the glossy version or the or the really tough moment but they don't see all the, the work that's been to get there and all the 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 things that have happened to them so you're extracting that from them so it's it's an amazing feeling to do that isn't it, it i mean i'm a massive audio fan it it's so intimate and it's just us here in my hotel room overlooking villamora marina and yeah. we're just having a chat like we would in the bar and so 
a lot of the sports people that I interview are used to being interviewed, but some aren't. And I think, you know, particularly for them, um, there's, there's no big camera and a light and, you know, and a producer and there's just the two of us. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really intimate and special. And, and I know quite a lot of listeners, also listeners write to you, they which do. I love. Yeah, I really love. And one of the comments that I've heard a lot from listeners is like they slightly feel like they're intruding, like they're sitting in the sofa between, you know, me and John Bertrand. Like yeah. And then they hear things. Like I remember the John Bertrand one, we were at his his son's house in the south coast of England and a beautiful sunny day in the South Downs and he had the doors open and there was this sort of tweeting bird outside <laughs> and lots of people commented on that. I mean, I think they were just there on that sofa with John and I. Yeah. Imagining the doors opening and the South Downs and um, I love that about audio. You know, you don't, in TV, you, you, know, you really have to kind of paint that visual picture, but... You do it yourself when you listen to a podcast. It is, yeah, I'm a big fan. And I like, I am a podcast listener and I, because you can listen when you're doing other things and listeners always tell you, don't they? They always write to me and they're like, well, I was walking my dog or I was driving to the North of Scotland or, or, you know, whatever it is. And actually a lot of, well, my podcast, a lot of sailors, a lot of Olympic sailors, they listen to it because they hear, I mean, to listen to, Tom Slingsby yeah. actually tell you how he won his gold medal and the things he did and the intensity and the lengths he went to. Oh my God, that is a masterclass in yes. how to win a gold medal. And if you're trying to do it, of course. I mean, all those Olympic sailors listen to those podcasts. Yeah. Um, anyway, we can- <laughs> <laughs> we're podcast fans. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it, you're inspiring people, and that and that's by listening to talking to people that are inspirational and and you're inspirational yourself so um you've got a, a beautiful way um ha- in the way that you interview and um you've got a an entirely positive attitude so i, I think it's amazing what you're doing and and i'm i know lots of people out there appreciate it and oh, uh, thank you i certainly do yeah so we've um made almost an hour can you believe that which has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Shirley. Um, it really is a privilege to have you on our um, on with our listeners. And um, I'm going to ask you to just let everybody know how they can find you, uh, where they can follow you, all those sorts of things. Oh, well, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. Um, it's been You've made it very easy. Oh, thank, good. Thank you. And enjoyable. <laughs> um, I My podcast is easy to find. It's Shirley Robertson's Sailing Podcast. Uh, so you can find that everywhere. Uh, and I'm Shirley Sail on on Instagram and, and all of that. So, yeah, if you, if you want to reach out or know more about sailing, then get in touch. But it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much, Shirley. And uh, we'll see you all on the water soon.
Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It really is a privilege to have your ears with us for every episode. Um, Thanks to our sponsors, also Quality Marine Clothing. If you would like to become a sponsor of the Boat Princess podcast and join them, then uh, please do contact us by emailing info at theboatprincess.com or send us a DM on Instagram, The Boat Princess. We have a great following on Instagram and of course the podcast is extremely popular worldwide. So you're reaching an amazing dedicated audience that loves boating and loves working in the boating industry or perhaps is considering joining the boating industry. So it's a fantastic audience and uh, we hope that you'll join us in sponsoring us. And if you're not ready to sponsor us yet, but you'd like to support us in a small way, the best way you can do that is by reviewing the podcast Or if you go to my website, theboatprincess.com and click on support the podcast, you'll be able to buy me a coffee and that will help this passion project be funded for just a while longer. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys. I'll see you on the water soon.